Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. All right, well, welcome back into the podcast. I uh, want to remind everybody right now to make sure if you're watching on YouTube to subscribe to the YouTube page. It really helps me out. It's real simple. Just click that subscribe button. That way you get all the content when it drops. It helps you boy out. Really, really appreciate it. Full disclosure on what's going on here this evening. I'm taping this. It's about 9.15 on Wednesday night, September 15th. And full disclosure, I had a guest lined up. Had a guest lined up, a big guest, completely lined up. And it fell through kind of at the last minute. So I'm kind of having to pull a last minute audible at the line here and go to a solo podcast. And it's, it's really been a while since I've dialed up a solo pod. It's been over a month, been guest heavy for the past month with the, with the launching of, of this YouTube page and Nebraska football season. So, you know what? I'm kind of fired up a little therapy session. Uh, this time it's, it's taped. So it's me, it's you. And of course it's going to be a lot of Husker football because it's a big, big week for Nebraska with, Heading to, obviously, Oklahoma. Heisman candidate at quarterback and Spencer Rattler. You got a top five team in the country. It's the 50th anniversary of the game of the century, Nebraska-Oklahoma. It's a big week. So, you know, on this podcast here, I'm going to give you guys my official prediction for the game. I got some keys and some thoughts as I've just been nonstop thinking about it, like I'm sure a lot of you have as well. But I want to start I want to start with this. I want to start with just the rivalry itself because I, I it's it's been really, really fun throughout this week whether you're reading Tom Chattel, Mitch Sherman, whoever, Dirk Chatlin's been been writing some good stuff as well. Really, everybody in the in the Nebraska media contingent has done an incredible job of really illustrating what this rivalry is all about uh, with with Nebraska and Oklahoma. And for me, so I was born in 1984, 37 years old, and I never really knew the the Oklahoma rivalry. By the time I was kind of old enough to understand what I was watching, digest football. Oklahoma wasn't really Oklahoma that you had heard about, right? And Nebraska was at its peak, right, coming into the 90s. And the reality is, though, you you listen to people talk about it, whether it's my dad, people, uh, other boss, uh, in, you know, whether it was my grandpa, whether it's, you know, my uncles, different people talking about it, talking to the roods about the, the rivalry, you read up on it, you go back and you watch the old games on YouTube and you, you just quickly learn that this isn't just talk, right? Like sometimes let's be, let's be honest. You hear, hear things that were going on back in the day, air quotes there. And, you know, it can kind of be like, man, okay, has this gotten embellished over time? No. There's one thing that has not gotten embellished over time. It's the the amazingness of the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry. 
I mean, you talk to anybody that was kind of college football for the better part of, you know, two, three decades. Right. And it's just interesting, though, because for me, Colorado was the big rival growing up like that was the game. It was it became the Black Friday game. That was the one that it felt like there was a lot of animosity and hatred between the two fan bases. I mean, there's infamous stories you hear about people having to change license plates as they get into the Colorado border, because if you park your car in Boulder, Colorado with Nebraska license plates, well, you, your, your car's going to get going to get vandalized pretty good. So th- those Colorado was the rival I grew up on. But you all it takes is just a shred of asking around talking to people, studying up on it, and you find out quickly what this Oklahoma rivalry is all about. And as far as the games that I remember or the ones that have that I've gone back and watched that have really stood out to me, to me, there, there are three really, really big ones for me. The first one is the 2001 Nebraska-Oklahoma game. Um, number one versus number two in Lincoln Memorial Stadium. I was at the game, West Balcony, with my brother. Uh, just an incredible game. Uh, let me tell it, it, it actually was, it was kind of a slugfest back, in, back and forth. It was kind of a defensive grinder. Oklahoma had their quarterbacks get, get knocked out of the game. Uh, you, Eric Crouch was really kept in check for the majority of that game. So it was one of those games, it wasn't necessarily a great game. It had a great finish. Really, it had a great play. Of course, talking about uh, the stunts to Crouch, Black 41, flash reverse pass. I mean, it. It. Uh, I was in the West Balcony. I could just see it develop perfectly, right? Like I could totally see when it was stunts, when he was pulling up, I could see Crouch kind of running down the Nebraska sideline. It was just, it was incredible. It has to be, it's probably my favorite Nebraska football game I've ever attended. And it's, it's one of my five to 10 greatest sports memories of my life was that game. And in particular that play and, you know, going back and and watching this game, doing my Husker classic recap podcast that I do with former Husker, Bo Rude, my best friend, it was really fun to go back and, and, and watch this game. Uh, I urge everybody to go listen to that 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 Husker Classic recap. I, I tweeted it out earlier this week, so make sure you guys go go check that out. It's just the thing that that stands out about that game, beyond just the fact that, like I told you, it was, it was kind of a defensive grinder of a game. It's It bears repeating that Oklahoma tried the exact same trick play earlier in the game. A little jet sweep reverse pass to the quarterback and their trick play didn't work and it was wide open wide open it was the quarterback got knocked down by the Nebraska defensive end which kind of threw off the timing of the play the 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 pass was short the quarterback slipped trying to catch the ball but it was wide open he was going to walk into the end zone so Oklahoma dials up the exact same trick play it doesn't work Nebraska dials it up and it works. It's just kind of amazing to think that as these two coaching staffs are are preparing for this game and feeling like they got to have something funky in terms of a trick play or, or, or something different, they both come up with the same thing. They both run it. One works, one doesn't. And, you know, stunts to crouch has to be the loudest Memorial Stadium moment I've ever been a part of uh it's one of the three i always talk about this maybe i gonna do a whole podcast on this to me it's one of the three most iconic plays in nebraska football history and it was eric crouch's heisman moment 
I mean, pretty much when Crouch caught that ball and ran into the end zone, they might as well just had the Heisman Trophy waiting for him and handed it to him. It was it was his at that point. So certainly that game stands out when I think about this rivalry. The other game that stands out to me is the 1978 Nebraska-Oklahoma game. I did this game as well for the Husker Classic Recap Podcast. I also tweeted this one out, so make sure you go check this one out. I, I chose this game when when figuring out which old games to go watch because this was Tom Osborne's first win against Oklahoma. Really think about this now. So you know he takes over, and he had lost his first five games against the Sooners. And it was weighing on Tom Osborne. It was weighing on the fan base. It was weighing on the program. And it, it was it was amazing to go back and rewatch the game because of one of the graphics they showed. So they show Tom Osborne on the sideline. Just he's got his headset on. They show him. And the graphic underneath just reads, Tom Osborne hasn't beaten Oklahoma. <laughs> that was it. But that that just illustrates just the nature of the situation where it's like, forget everything else. The only thing that matters from a Nebraska perspective is this new coach who took over for Bob Devaney has not beaten Oklahoma, period, end of story. Like, that's the hook on this game. That's it from a Nebraska standpoint. And so to me, this game and the way it played out and the fact that Nebraska was able to win was huge for Tom Osborne. It was huge for the way the fan base views Coach Osborne because Tom Osborne had, had, has talked about this publicly, he talked about it leading up to, to the game, that kind of the dynamic where it irritated him, just how it was a one it it kind of become a one game season right where like it didn't matter what you did throughout the year if you lost to Oklahoma season was was a was a waste in the eyes of the fans and it was like no matter what hadn't beaten Oklahoma hasn't beaten Oklahoma so you know this game was huge for Tom Osborne in that regard and you know, you looked at Oklahoma in that game. They were ranked number one in the country. They had Billy Sims at running back who won the Heisman Trophy. And it was a cold November afternoon in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was cold. And the game kind of mirrored the, the, the elements of the game. It was a physical fist fight, bar fight, bloodbath. Dudes were hitting. Guys were dropping like flies. I mean, it was... It was really physical both ways. In fact, Oklahoma fumbled nine times in the game, and Nebraska recovered six of them, including Billy Sims fumbles at the two-yard line going in to probably win the game, fumbles at the two-yard line, and Jim Pillen recovers it, and then Nebraska is able to kind of run out the clock. But that's kind of how the game ends for Oklahoma where they have their sticks, they they have their ninth fumble of the day, and Nebraska recovers six of them. But it just did, it's just an amazing play where once again I'm on this iconic play thing. This game, 78 Nebraska Oklahoma, featured another iconic play, which is probably in the top ten most iconic Husker plays, and that's the hit from John Root. If you haven't seen it, which I don't know if you've lived, you're obviously not a Nebraska fan or you've been living under a rock. I mean, it, it's John Rude on a kickoff comes screaming down. Somehow he slips through two blockers. He's untouched. I'm talking full head of steam. And listen, I know John Rude because of my relationship with the Rudes. John Rude's a big dude. And the one thing that dude will do is he'll knock your head off. And that's exactly what he did here. He just comes through like a missile, 
it's probably the hardest hit I've ever seen in a college football game. He shattered the Oklahoma returner's collarbone. And what's interesting about this play, beyond just the amazing, you know, sheer physical, raw nature of the hit, was that he, Oklahoma fumbles the football. But the ref, it's clear as day. I mean, he shattered his collarbone. Clear as day, he fumbles the football, but the ref called him down. And Tom Osborne, Mr. Stoic, Mr. Calm, Mr. Never Freak Out, lost his mind relative to what you usually see with Tom Osborne. It's by far, by far the most animated I've ever seen him on the sidelines, arguing with the officials, angry at the call that they didn't give, that they they called him down and it wasn't a fumble. Because it was, it was obvious there was it was a terrible missed call. But I think it goes to show you just how big this game was. The fact that here's Mr. Stoic. He wants to beat Oklahoma so bad. Huge play. It doesn't go his way. He thinks, well, this might be, this was the break that was going to seal it for, for Nebraska. It doesn't happen. And so he's losing his mind. Uh, but a big, big, it's one of my favorite games, man. It's a big, big game for Tom Osborne, big win for Tom Osborne. And <laughs> legend has it, legend has it. Talk to some people that Nebraska partied and its players, everybody partied and celebrated so hard after that win that it threw them off the game and they, they turned around because they were undefeated at that point. They, they turn around and they lose to Missouri the next week. So that the legend has it, it was such a big win that they lost their mind celebrating and they turn around and lose to Missouri the next weekend. But I mean, just it's a huge win for Tom Osborne, first win over Oklahoma. Next game in terms of this Nebraska Oklahoma rivalry, we got to talk about is obviously the game of the century. It's the what we're celebrating this weekend with with Nebraska and, and OU. It's probably the it's the biggest game in Husker history. It's probably arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest game in college football history. And looking up some stuff on this game, just chew on some of this stuff here. So with the game of the century, Nebraska, Oklahoma, number one versus number two, there was an estimated 55 million people watching this game. 55 million was the largest TV audience ever for a college football game at the time. And to put this into context, I think in the last 20 years, probably the biggest national title game was probably uh, USC, Texas, Reggie Bush, Leinert, Vince Young, right? Like that's probably the biggest game. That game, USC, Texas had 35 million. Last year, Bama, Ohio State had 18 million. This had 55 million people watching this game. Nebraska had the number one defense in the country. Oklahoma had the number one offense. And Oklahoma had an NCAA record in terms of rushing yards per game. The Sooners that year averaged 472 yards rushing per game. <laughs> Ridiculous. They lined up in the wishbone, and they were good. Uh, the teams, Nebraska-Oklahoma, I love this stat, they combined for 17 of the 22 all-conference selections. I mean, at what point when you're making those all conference selections, you'd be like, do we need to give like Missouri a guy? We need to, how many Oklahoma, oh, we're up 17. We got, to, I mean, you get spread. Cause I know I've done things where I got to pick all conference stuff. You feel like, okay, I can't, we can't put another guy on the team with this, but it just goes to show you how good these two teams were that they had no choice. Think about that. 
17 of the 22 all-conference selections were from these two teams. It's That's unbelievable. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Then the other little nugget I, I found, this was on Wikipedia. And you got to believe everything you can you read on Wikipedia, right? Apparently, Bob Devaney, he had food flown in from Lincoln, Nebraska to the hotel in Norman because he was so worried about maybe bookies or or different people getting to the hotel, the kitchen, the cooking staff, that there would maybe be some food poisoning for the Nebraska football team. So he had, flu, he had food flown from Lincoln. Just goes to show you how crazy the, the, the times were with that. Um, I mean, Nebraska had studs everywhere, and Johnny Rogers, Rich Glover, Larry Jacobson, Willie Harper, Jerry Taggy, Jeff Kinney, and it's amazing. You know, I watched this game for the first time recently, and I tell you what, it lived up to the hype for me. I mean, here, game of the century, all this different stuff, and you kind of like, you. it sets a bar in your mind, like, okay, how is this really going to live up to it? And it did. I mean, it, it was it was back and forth. It was intense. You could feel it. Uh, I, I got a kick out of Jerry Taggy in particular Jeff Kinney's jersey by the end of the game. I don't know what how they were making these jerseys. It was just sh- shredded. It was almost like a Rottweiler had gotten a, gotten Jeff Kinney's jersey and sh- just ripped it to pieces. I mean, he basically didn't have a front of the jersey. Is is just but those are the images like the old helmets, like one bar across. It was just like it was a man's man's game. It was a grown ass football game. And Jeff Kinney was tough. Johnny Rogers, you you know, so explosive, so fast. Jerry Taggy was a gamer. Rich Glover and Larry Jacobson were incredible in the interior. And, you know, it culminates with Nebraska being down 31 to 28 with seven minutes left. They have a game-winning 74-yard drive where Jeff Kinney punches it in. Nebraska's offense stepped up in the second half. Once again, you know, the fumble bug bit Oklahoma. They fumbled it three times in the game, which was huge. Um, but back to the iconic play thing, this game obviously produces the most iconic play in Nebraska football history and Johnny Rogers, 72 yard punt return. And it produces probably the most iconic play by play call from Lyle Brimser of, you know, man, woman, and child that put him in the aisle. Like, I mean, just an incredible, perfect call for what you saw from, from Johnny, the jet on that punt return, by the way, again, this is 37 year old guy just, you know, talking like, that was the first score of the game, that punt return. For some reason in my mind, 
I thought that was later in the game. I thought that was later in the game, like a crucial moment in the game where Nebraska, like it was the play that blew it open for Nebraska or whatever. Just, I mean, I'm willing to be honest with you guys. And I I thought that game, I thought that play happened later in the game. This is the first score of the game, 72 yard punt return. Kind of set the tone for the game though. Like these 55 million people that sat down to watch were like, oh my God, are we about to watch a hell of a football game? Um, But just an iconic game. Iconic play from Johnny Rogers, probably the most iconic punt return in college football history, certainly the most iconic play in Nebraska football history. And it was probably one of the most important and biggest college football games ever. So, I mean, that's hell. That's why we're celebrating it here this weekend with 50th anniversary of it. Then the the last one I wrote down, I won't spend too much time breaking this one down, but it was the reason I, and I'll elaborate here. I wrote down the, the 2010 Big 12 championship game, Nebraska, Oklahoma. It was the last time these two teams met. It was Nebraska's last game in the big 12. It was a frustrating game from Nebraska, from a Nebraska standpoint. If you remember, Nebraska got up 17, nothing and blew it. They turned the ball over four times. And Oklahoma was able to kind of roar back. They went 23 to 20. And that was it. It was the last two times again, last, last time these two teams have played, this is the last time these two teams were in the same conference. And what's interesting was you think of that point. So December, you know, first week of December 2010. Just how from, from that point on, these two programs, Oklahoma and Nebraska, they went in different directions, literally and figuratively. They they Nebraska joins a different conference. Uh, and Oklahoma goes on to have a very successful decade of football, multiple conference championships. They, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, they get a run of quarterbacks. It's incredible. They pass the baton from Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley in a successful manner. And then Nebraska, we all know what's happened there, right? You, you fire Bo Pelini, hire Mike Riley, fire Mike Riley. You hire Sean Eichhorst, fire Sean Eichhorst. You bring in uh, you, you bring in Bill Moose, and Bill Moose suddenly retires at the end of the season. And you bring in Frost. You you have a whole bunch of different. Not Trev Alberts is the AD, but multiple ADs, multiple head coaches, and not a lot of winning. And what's interesting is when you think about that moment, both those teams in 2010 for that Big Big 12 championship game, both the teams felt like they were even. They felt like they were right there, neck and neck. And then from that game on. Both programs went in totally different directions. And so it's just interesting to kind of contrast where these programs have have been since they've last played, which all leads us into this game on Saturday. So again, if you're like me, you just can't stop thinking about this game. It doesn't matter if I am taking my my daughter to, to kindergarten, if I am changing my, my one-year-old's diaper, if I'm on a bike ride, if I'm doing the dishes, like I'm constantly thinking about this game. And over the last handful of days, as I've continued to think about this game, there's a couple of things that have kind of stood out. Number one, like I get that Oklahoma's known for their high, their potent high flying offense, right? Like that's Lincoln Riley, Spencer Rattler. Like that's what Oklahoma's become and what they're known for. They got a Heisman candidate at quarterback. So you would think that all the concerns would go to the defensive side of the ball. Defense, defense, defense. But for me, that's not where my 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 mind has gone as I've thought about this game. Because for me, the biggest concern, and there's a lot of them, right? But the biggest concern isn't on defense for me. 
Now, that isn't to say I think that Nebraska's defense is going to go to Norman, Oklahoma and just stonewall the Sooners. Like, I don't think they're going to go, like, lock down Oklahoma or anything like that. Not saying that. But for me, when I've thought about this game, the biggest concern is on the other side of the ball. And mainly just a simple question, and it sounds very elementary, but can Nebraska score enough points? Like, can they score enough points? Because to beat Oklahoma, you're going to have to score. There's some teams you play, they're not as potent offensively. You you could win a grinder, right? You could see how the game could become a 17 to 13, 20 to 13, you know, 14 to 10 kind of a game. This isn't one of those games. You know what Oklahoma does. You know what they're going to probably do, and that's score. So you, you being Nebraska in this situation, whoever's playing them, like you're going to need to score. And when I think about this game, like, you're probably going to need 30 to at least 30 points, probably 35 points to even have a chance to win this game. And let's be real. Nebraska didn't get 30 points against Illinois. They didn't get 30 points against Buffalo. I get it. They had multiple touchdowns called back, but listen, the final score, 28 points. Nebraska hasn't really shown anything that makes me think they can go get 30 to 35 points against Oklahoma. Like in some ways we could just stop right there. That's it. Like don't have to outthink yourself. But that, but that's where my concerns keep going to is like, and we'll get inside all these things here in a second, but like can Nebraska score enough points? So far through three games and really even the last, you know, the 2019 and 2020 seasons, I'm not very confident in the answer to that question. But that leads me into another another important component to, to this game and another key. Sticking with the offense. Which is, can Nebraska get their banged-up offensive weapons healthy? You could make a case the MVP of this week in terms of who needs to have a great week. It's the trainers. Like, can Nebraska... Can they get Oliver Martin, Austin Allen, Omar Manning, Xavier Betts, Travis Vokalek back for this game? Or at least two or three of those guys back for this game? Because Nebraska is going to need all hands on deck offensively for this one. Because again, when you play in Oklahoma, you're going to have to score. You're going to have to put points on the board. And the reality is, like, I don't care who you are. If you're down five of your top seven to ten weapons on offense unless you're you know Ohio State Alabama Clemson where your backups are like four and five star dudes your backups are like NFL guys unless you're them your offensive output is gonna suffer like if you're down that many guys you're gonna have a hard time clicking on all cylinders and moving the ball at a high clip you just are so Nebraska needs to hopefully get a few of those guys back. Most notably, if I could like wave my magic Bob Devaney wand on, you know, to get these guys healthy, I would think you'd need Oliver Martin and Austin Allen back. If you if if you can get those two guys back, that's fantastic. Obviously, if you can get if you can get Betts and Manning and Vokalek back as well, because Vokalek by all accounts is one of the best blocking tight ends. Uh you know, in the conference and specifically on the Nebraska football team. So that's certainly going to be huge as well. Going to have to score. The big question looms, can Nebraska get enough points? Well, a big part of that 
is getting at least whatever offensive weapons you have healthy and on the field. Sticking with the offense, I'm interested in the play calling. And there's there's a lot to unpack with within that, that term and with this topic here because the first thing that stands out, and Bo Rude and I talked about this on, on the recap pod a couple of days ago, I'm curious to see if will will Nebraska do something unique or do something different in this game? Does Nebraska slow the game down? Do they do they try to chew the play clock? Do they try to shorten the amount of possess limit the amount of possessions in this game? Like, are they going to slow down, snap the ball with five, 10 seconds on the play clock every single time? And I get what's hard about that is that's not what they do. But, you know, say it out loud. Do you really want to go get in a track meet with Oklahoma at Oklahoma? I mean, probably not. So what does Frost do, right? Like, do you do something completely different? Slow the game down. Just something. Do you do something that's completely different? Slow it down. Because to me, just trying to go toe-to-toe with Oklahoma seems like a recipe to get blown out. Like, it, it just, it, it does. Now, here's the thing. It's a lot, it's easier said than done. It's easier to say, just slow down. I mean, the hard part about that is you always got to be you. And because being you is playing to your strengths because that's what you that's what you preach, that's what you teach, that's what you work on every single day in spring, summer, fall camp, like that. You, you still got to be you. But what if you plays right into the superior team's hands? Like, can you still be you, but kind of just a different version of you? I don't know. I mean, that's a predicament to me. And I'm really, really curious to see what that looks like. And the other thing with the, with, with the play calling, if you go watch, which I have a couple of times now, if you go watch the Tulane-Oklahoma game, first game of the season for Oklahoma, the one of the things that stands out, because Tulane was right there, lost 40-35, to 35, had the ball driving, got stuffed on fourth down at midfield, touchdown, would have won the game at Oklahoma. When you watch that game, one of the things that stands out is, man, the play calling for Tulane was big time creative, unique, perfectly timed shots. Uh, I mean, they had dudes walking into the end zone with some of the creativity. I was, that that was jumped out at me. I was like, Dan, these plays are awesome. And, you know, Scott Frost, that's supposed to be his thing, right? Like he's, he was billed as this offensive, offensive savant, unbelievable play caller. I mean, he called plays for Oregon where they were running everybody off the field, hanging 50 on everybody. Like that's supposed to be his thing. And I mean, I get oftentimes your X's and O's are only as good as your Jimmy's and Joe's. Like you can dial up the greatest thing in the world, but if you don't have, you know, the right guy on the wheel route, the right guy in the skinny post, the right guy in the, you know, for the, for the tunnel screen, it might, it might not look as good. But nevertheless, Tulane ran some great, great stuff. So I'll be curious to see what Scott Frost has up his sleeve from a from just a play calling standpoint. And 
if anything up that sleeve of his is a trick player to. Because Eric Crouch, I had Eric Crouch on my podcast in September of 2019, so a couple years ago now, and he told a great story on my podcast because, of course, I had to ask him about Black 41 Flash versus Pass, the 2001 Nebraska-Oklahoma game. And he told me a story how on the Monday of that game week, so they're starting their game prep install, all that stuff. On the on the the Monday of of that of game week, Frank Solich has a team meeting, and Frank Frank Solich showed the entire team a highlight package of all the trick plays in this rivalry, Nebraska and Oklahoma, that have played a vital role both ways. Where one of the through lines with this rivalry is kind of in trickery. We all know what happened that week. Oklahoma tried to run a reverse pass. They missed it. Nebraska ran the Black 41 flash reverse pass, hit it. So they both had trick plays on the mind. So I wonder if Scott Frost has some sort of trick play up his sleeve. Because the one thing that Frost hasn't done a ton of is trick plays. I was really trying to think about it. I mean, Luke McCaffrey on a little like jet sweep, pass to J.D. Spielman against Iowa in 2019. That's like, when I try and think of trick plays since Frost has been been here, hasn't been a lot of them. There really has not been a lot of them. So I just wonder if, you know, what does the play calling look like? Does it have any trickery to it? Because, man, you watch that two-lane game, wasn't necessarily trickery, but, man, they dialed up some good stuff. Dialed up some great stuff. Another key for me is, this is, fairly simplistic, but the the start of the game. You got to get off to a good start. This team is still pretty mentally fragile. Um, I get it. Oklahoma's one of those teams that can give lead, give up leads. They did that in the Tulane game where Tulane was able to come back. But you, you also got to have the ability to put up points to come back. And again, I just don't, I don't think Nebraska is a team that's built to rally from 21, 24 points against a good team. I just don't think they are. And so, like we've said, again, I think there's this the psyche of, of this team is a little fragile. You got to find a way to hang in there early. Make a few good tone-setting plays early in the game. Get everyone's confidence up and get your nerves down right away. Try to get off to a, a, a good start. It's huge in this one. And then, obviously, I mean, just... There, there are the obvious ones of special teams, turnovers, and penalties, right? I mean, Nebraska has been poor in all three categories, really, for the last handful of years, and, and the first three games have kind of been no different. You want to be the top five team on the road. They, they need a flipping of the script in all three of those areas. Which, which leads me to kind of an official prediction. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback, in high school, but you know, I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the runs a game. That's an original runs a cheeseburger, some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter, a little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run, but at lunch you establish the runs. It's just that simple. So get out to runs today and establish the runs a game or Check out the delicious salads. You've got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. you got to get out to Runza, establish a Runza game, 
or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. The spread, at least, you know, as of middle of the week, sitting about 22 points uh, as we're taping this. Oklahoma's favored by 22. So what's going to happen? Uh, listen, I think Oklahoma's going to win this game. Let's not belabor the point here and and get crazy. Like, I... <laughs> I haven't heard one person pick Nebraska to win this game. In fact, as I'm consuming, whether it's, you know, writers, social media, radio shows, whatever, whatever, like I really haven't heard anyone think that Nebraska is going to keep it close. And and the hard part is close is a subjective word. Like how do you define close is close covering the 22 point spread is close being within a touchdown late three points late. Like it's a subjective term. I think Nebraska can hang in there and keep it close. Close meaning like within 14 points, 13, 14 points. Um, But man, their margin for error is really, really, really thin. Because if Nebraska goes to Norman and, and and does what it's done with, with bad special teams, muffed punts, missing field goals, bad punting, uh, turnovers, back-breaking penalties in really bad spots. If they do that, Oklahoma's going to cover the 22 points. You can get away with with those things against Illinois and hang in there. They did. You can get away with those things against Fordham and Buffalo and win, which is what they did. You cannot do that against Oklahoma. You just can't. So listen, we, everything I've talked about for the past half hour, like you could, we can talk about a bunch of stuff like trick plays and getting off to a good start and getting guys healthy and all this stuff. But if Nebraska goes out and loses special teams, the turnover battle and has more penalties, it's just, it's over, right? Like they're going to get, they're likely going to get rolled. So we'll see what happens in those areas. And, and like I said earlier, I think, you know, we'll see what Nebraska's offense can do. You know, I, I just, I'm concerned about their ability to put up enough points in this game. I What's hard is like, oftentimes your confidence level in an offense is a reflection of how you feel about the quarterback. Like if you feel good about the quarterback, you usually feel decent about the offense. Typically speaking, when you're assessing football. Completely not true for Nebraska. I feel really good about Adrian Martinez. I think he's had arguably his two best games he's had since his freshman year. Uh, he looks explosive. He's moving well. He's throwing the ball well. He's made some unbelievable uh, scramble plays. I feel really good about, about Martinez right now. He's not the concern, right? The concern is, is he going to get any help around him offensively? Like, can, can Nebraska run the ball with the running backs at all? Can this O-line get any push at all? Because if we're writing down just big picture concerns for this team through three games, I'd put the O-line at number one to me. Number one. And so what's going to happen with the rushing attack? What is going to happen with his weapons at wide receiver? We talked about everybody that's been hurt. All those things are, are legitimate, legitimate questions. Because what's what's crazy is, and again, I, I, I might eat my words really bad on this. I actually think the defense is equipped to hang in there a little bit. Again, I'm not saying, oh, Ba thinks here, Ba, Ba thinks the rest of the defense is going to go hold him to three points. No, I'm not saying that at all. I, I don't think, I mean, I think it's you can't do that to Oklahoma. No one does that to Oklahoma. But I feel good about where the defense is at right now. 
Like, I feel good about the linebackers, how they're playing. I think Oklahoma could have a hard time running the football. They're really banged up at their running back spot. Uh, Nebraska, this is a little thing, but it's something I know that you know certain football coaches think is important. Uh, Nebraska's used to playing spread teams, right? Because they see it every day in practice. I think, you know, as opposed to teams that go under center, use a fullback, huddle up, and run it right down your throat like Iowa and Wisconsin. I think those teams make people really, really nervous. Or by people, I mean the coaching staff really nervous because they don't they don't practice against that every day. They go against a version of Oklahoma every day. Now get you don't you don't have Oklahoma's athletes out there, but they go against a version of it. So it's not completely foreign. But I think Nebraska defense can hang in there. But one of the things that pops when you watch Oklahoma play, and you've obviously been watching Nebraska play, is there is a dramatic difference in the overall team speed with the Sooners and and the Huskers. Like, one of the biggest advantages I think Oklahoma has is speed on both sides of the ball, in particular on, on offense. Nebraska is not a very fast team. Oklahoma is fast. And that may reveal itself in a major way because, you know, the weapons that OU has a wide receiver combined with Spencer Rattler's ability to throw, it's a bitch, man. It's, it is tough to deal with. And we'll see if Nebraska can come with some sort of pass rush. We'll see if Nebraska's secondary can step up to the challenge. But to me, as long as the, the offense doesn't put the defense in terrible spots and as long as special teams doesn't put the defense just in terrible spots. I think the defense can hang in there and and not get lit up like some people are expecting. Now, if the offense is turning the ball over, going three and out for three straight possessions, and special teams is awful and giving you know giving the ball at the doorstep for Oklahoma, yeah, well then I mean, then forget about it, right? But as long as Nebraska's offense and special teams can cannot put the defense just in awful spots, I think the defense can hang in there. But to me, there are two things to watch within the defense inside of all that. Number one is missed tackles. Oklahoma is one of those teams where, you know, they get you spread out and you've got to be able to tackle in space. And Nebraska can't allow any leaky yardage with missed tackles. And they don't let a five-yard gain become a 25-yard gain because you missed a tackle. Don't let a 10-yard gain become a 40-yard gain. Don't let a... 10-yard game become a touchdown because you missed a tackle. You got to be in those one-on-one spots. You have to bring your guy down. And along those lines, thinking about one-on-one, can Nebraska's defensive backs win some one-on-one situations? Like deep ball down the sideline. It's Cam Taylor Britt one-on-one with Marvin Mims, Oklahoma's top wide receiver. Can Cam Taylor Britt win that battle? Can Nebraska's secondary win those battles more often than not over the course of four quarters? Because Rattler's got common hill. I mean, he's a little, he's kind of a gunslinger. Like, he'll throw it into double coverage. He's got supreme confidence in his wide receivers, rightfully so. He'll throw it even if a guy's covered. Can Nebraska win their defensive backs win those one-on-one situations. Those are two things. Missed tackles, allowing 10-yard gains to become 50-yarders or 
10 yarders to become 25 yarders. And then one-on-one situations with the defensive backs for Nebraska against Oklahoma's wide receivers. Listen, it wouldn't shock me if Nebraska got popped and, and Oklahoma covered the spread. I don't know how that could really surprise anyone, right? But it also wouldn't surprise me if Nebraska hung around and played Oklahoma relatively tough. Like, you, do, you got a four-year, talented starting quarterback in Adrian Martinez who's playing some great football right now. And you got an experienced veteran junior and senior laden defense who's playing their best football collectively right now. Like you check those two boxes, you would think you can go kind of hang in there against just about anybody within reason. But Nebraska has enough issues that it's it's hard to be super confident in them in this in this spot. So Listen, what happens? I think Nebraska's defense hangs in there, but eventually Nebraska's shortcomings on offense and in the turnover department and special teams, those things, those things are eventually going to kind of rear their ugly head and Oklahoma's going to eventually pull away. I don't think this is going to be a blowout, but I think Oklahoma wins 41-24, 40-21, 40-24, somewhere kind of in, in that area. That's... That's how I, I see it. And I'm fascinated to see how this game unfolds. I mean, so it's, it's a big spot for Nebraska. And uh, the last thing I'll say is I, I hate to play the moral victory card. I hate that. But you know, it's only, I mean, the game's going to be kicked off on September 18th. I mean, not even into October yet. Like, this team's got a lot of football left to play this season. So one of the interesting things about this weekend to me can Nebraska find a way to go play well enough and perform well enough that you leave Norman, Oklahoma with some semblance of confidence, with your confidence intact, where you're ready to go to battle and go to East Lansing the following weekend and, and take on the Spartans and start your Big Ten slate? I know you played Illinois, but really start your Big Ten slate in ours. Because what you can't have happen is complete and total collapse and a team that is that's obviously trying to find that collective confidence just go get curb stomped on the road. We've seen sometimes you put too much in the, into one game, it doesn't go well, you fall apart. Happened in 2007 with Nebraska and USC. You could argue even though Nebraska won the following weekend, it happened with with game day in 2019 with Nebraska and Ohio State. Ohio State came here blew the doors off off Nebraska and kind of was never the same. You could even argue that in 2016, Mike Riley's second year, they were 7-0. and They went, won a close game on the road at Wisconsin. Or, sorry, lost uh, in overtime at Wisconsin. So they're 7-1 and going to Columbus, Ohio. They go to Ohio State and lose 62-3. to They lost so bad that I think it took all the wind out of their sails. And they sputter and struggled on the stretch, and we all know what ends up happening in the following season. So whether it's early in the season, late in the season, whatever, you know, you you have to find a way when, if you're Nebraska, this weekend to do enough good things, perform well enough to where you leave with some semblance of confidence and feeling decent about yourself, getting ready to go play the rest of the season. Because a, a lot of people have pointed to this next Michigan State game on September 25th as you know, the real season begins for Nebraska against Michigan State. So 
I mean, the, re, the the bottom line is Nebraska can lose this Oklahoma game and still have a successful season. I mean, no one, when you're doing the whole win, loss, win, loss, nobody has picked Nebraska to win this game. Everybody assumed this is going to be a loss. So Nebraska can lose this game and still have a good season, a successful season, a season in which you see progress from Scott Frost in, in year four. But in order to me to have a successful season, you got to find a way to go play well, even if you lose the game and walk off the field feeling decent about yourself. I can't wait, man. It should be fascinating. It should be fun to celebrate this rivalry. It should be fun to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. It should be a really, really cool scene in Norman, Oklahoma. The game's on Big Fox. Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, Jenny Taft can be on the call. Big Noon Kickoff's going to be there. The crew, it's going to be great, man. It's going to be great. Reminder, Bo Rude and I will have the official game recap pod for Nebraska-Oklahoma for you guys on Sunday. We'll sit down, we'll analyze, we'll discuss this game in its entirety. So be ready for that. Listen to it on the pod. You can watch it on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to both the podcast and the YouTube page. Appreciate everybody downloading and supporting the podcast. Appreciate you listening. Catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Ahura Media Production.